Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Hey, good morning, New Covenant family. Hi, somebody on the left-hand side. To the rest of you, good morning. It is second service. There's still coffee available if you need that, So, because you are going to interact just a little bit this morning. I, I want to start with a question. How many of you all have ever had a bad day? Like you slept through the alarm, and then when you finally did wake up, you didn't feel very good, and then you had to run to the car to get in the car so you weren't late for work, but the car had a flat. By the time you finally got it fixed, you were definitely late to work, to show up, to be chewed out by the boss that you've really been struggling with. Just picture that's a bad day. Now picture having a bad day like that a million times worse for seven straight years, and it just doesn't end. That's what we're looking at with the tribulation. Isn't that happy? There is going to be hope and joy in this message, believe it or not, this morning from Revelation chapter 9, which is where we're at Together, we are still in the midst of what we call the trumpet judgments, and these trumpet judgments are quite brutal. So before we even read Revelation 9, 1 through 21, let me remind us of something we discussed a few weeks back, and that is that there is a purpose to the seven-year tribulation. Uh, There are at least five, but three of them that we want to mention this morning is one is God is going to display his power. He will make sure that the world knows how big and mighty and majestic he is, and he will do that through some of the judgments during the time of the tribulation. Another reason for the tribulation is to punish sinners. Ultimately, God is giving people what they've been asking for. They've been asking for life without him, so he's going to show them what that looks like. But the third thing that I don't want us to miss is that in the midst of all that, God's providing salvation. He oftentimes allows hard things to happen in our lives because that's what it takes to get us on our knees. If you've noticed, a lot of times when people are prospering and they're happy-go-lucky, they completely forget about God, have nothing to do with Him, and don't want Him, and then suddenly when things go wrong, they're either on their knees crying out to Him or shaking their fists at Him and blaming Him. We're going to see a little bit of both in Revelation. So let's take a look at how God's going to continue to use what seem like harsh, uh, brutal judgments. He's actually going to use these to try to draw people to Himself. So if you would take your Bibles, you'd go to Revelation chapter 9, and if you would just stand with me as we read, it's a little bit of a long passage, so stick with me, you'll get your exercise this morning. But Revelation 9, 1 through 21, it says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, 
and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Thank you, gang. You can have a seat. One overarching idea that Jesus gives us here is that a refusal to repent and follow him will always lead to destruction. Think about that statement for just a moment. A refusal to repent and follow Jesus always leads to destruction. We're not just talking about eternity separated from him in hell, but even the temporal. When we go after things that are not of the Lord, that don't bring him honor, that don't bring him glory, that are flat out sin, it leads to our destruction. And we as a church are called to be a line of defense, to be a blessing to the community that we live in. I think of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. You all know Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Jeremiah 20, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Probably one of the single most misquoted Bible verses in all of the Bible. We put it on mugs, we put it on signs in our house. That's totally fine, just understand the context. In Jeremiah 29, it is depressing because God just told the Israelites, you are about to go into captivity at the hand of the Babylonians for 70 years. So when you begin to get to year four, five, 10, 20, 30, just remember, I haven't forgotten you. I still have plans for you, but you're going to have to endure for 70 years. But just prior to that, God said, hey, you're going to go into this city. You're going to be there for 70 years, but here's what I want you to do. Build houses, have babies, and look for the welfare of the city. Be a blessing to that city. Babylon was a cesspool of sin, Worshipping all kinds of false gods, all kinds of sexual immorality. Does it not sound like a lot of the major cities that we live in in the United States of America? So what are we supposed to do? Go build houses, go make babies, go raise up those babies in the Lord and be a blessing to the city. How do we do that? Amen. We preach the gospel no matter what. Doesn't matter whether it's in season or out of season, whether people want to hear it or they don't want to hear it. We're going to bring Jesus everywhere we go. And are people going to get upset about it? Absolutely. 
But I tell you what, if I can lay my head down on a pillow at night and know that if Jesus was to take me home today and he said, well done, good and faithful servant, I don't have to worry about a thing that anybody's going to think, say, or do to me. And it's probably going to get worse and it's probably going to get harder as time goes by. Well, in Revelation 9, we get a little taste of what hell on earth is going to be like when Jesus removes the church from the earth and there is no longer what we call the restrainer restraining evil any longer. It's going to get really bad and we don't want anybody to be there. But what I want you to see is that even in the midst of all this, God is giving people seven years to repent. He doesn't have to. See, we read Revelation 9 and go, whoa, God's brutal. Like, why is he just being so cruel to those that he created? He's not. He's giving them a little taste of what hell separated from him forever is going to be like. He's just showing them on earth for a brief period of time. And then he's giving them all these opportunities to repent and turn to him. Even before the actual tribulation happens, God has allowed certain things to happen in our midst so that we can see what hell on earth is look, looks like a little bit. And he gives people a chance to repent and turn to him. But how many are doing that? Well, I don't want you to be concerned on numbers, because as we're about to take a look, Satan's numbers far outweigh the number that are following God in Revelation chapter 9, and you're going to see that God's not worried at all. So let's continue on. In Revelation 9, 1 through 11, it's just two things we're breaking down this morning. We're doing Revelation 9, 1 through 11, and then Revelation 9, 12 through 21. There's just two uh, major lessons that are imperative for us to grab a hold of this morning that are going to unpack why not repenting and turning to Jesus always leads to destruction. Or let's, let's word it in the positive. Why would I want to repent and follow Jesus? I've had people ask me that before. Pastor, why would I want to repent and follow Jesus? Well, let me give you the first one from verses 1 through 11. Repent and follow Jesus because Satan wants to harm you. He wants your destruction. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus himself said it. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Revelation chapter 9 just unpacks what Jesus taught in John chapter 10. Satan wants to harm those that are created in the image of God. Here's how he goes about doing it. Let's start with verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen, fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, I've told you, Revelation's a tricky book. I've heard some weird interpretations of the book of Revelation, especially in Revelation chapter 9. We are going to let Scripture interpret Scripture and teach us what these passages mean. We're going to let church history teach us what these passages mean. And one of the, the promises that I will make to you from this pulpit is that we are not going to give you what our thoughts or ideas are on these passages. We're just going to simply derive it from Scripture. We're going to do what's called exegesis, which ek just means out of, geisis means knowledge. We are going to draw knowledge out of the Scriptures, not place them into it. So what do we know from verse 1? Well, we know an angel blows a trumpet. That's pretty straightforward. Then it says, a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Who is this fallen angel? Who is this star that has fallen? Well, I read some commentaries, and some say it's Satan. It's not Satan. Satan's not cast out of heaven um, or kicked out of heaven until the midpoint of the tribulation, and we're not there yet. So it couldn't be Satan. So what we do know is that it's some high-ranking angel. He has been given some type of authority over other demons. And what is he able to do? Well, he is given, now note that word, he is given. 
He's only allowed to have this key because God allows him to. And this, again, is going to be a theme that we're going to look at in Revelation 9. Did you know that there is nothing that any demon, Satan himself, the forces of this world can do to you that God doesn't already know about? It's all still completely within his control. So he has the key to the shaft or the bottomless pit. What is the bottomless pit? Again, I've heard some very interesting things on what the bottomless pit is. Let's just let scripture tell us. If you're a note taker, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. God did not spare angels when they sinned, but he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Okay, we use the word hell in the English language. There's actually four Greek words for the word hell. The one that's used here is the word Tartarus. And Tartarus uh, literally means a pit, a bottomless pit or an abyss. And there are certain angels that have been kept there, such as the ones that left their proper dwelling place, which we're about to read about in Jude. Jude 5 through 7 tells us about these angels. These are the ones that left their proper dwelling place. Uh, they possessed men in Genesis chapter 6, and then they began to procreate with women. And that's where we believe that group called the Nephilim came from. Now, again, there's lots of debate on that, but if I'm simply letting Scripture speak, I believe the clearest answer we get on the Nephilim is that they were demon-possessed men that went and slept with women for the purpose of ruining the lineage and family line that Jesus was supposed to come through. Because remember, what's one thing that Satan does not want? He didn't want Jesus here redeeming mankind. He wanted to win souls. So he was going to do everything he could to keep Jesus from coming on the scene. He tried even harder. Remember, he tried to kill Jesus through Herod? Okay, I can't get too far ahead of myself. That's actually talked about in the book of Revelation. We're going to get there in just a couple of weeks. I just get too excited. Jude, verses 5 through 7 says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay in their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. We get a warning that, listen, if this is what the angels did and they got punished for it, what makes us think that we will escape that? And I know that this is the hard part of following after God. We want a loving God who's gracious and merciful and just gives me whatever I want. I want my celestial Santa Claus in the sky. And I have discovered that that is not the God we serve. In fact, God has taught us that in the family unit, in the nuclear family unit. If we are good moms and dads, what we will do is we will disciple our children and then we will discipline them when they go astray. Now, the kids love us when we're giving them ice cream and taking them to Disneyland. But when they're going, getting sent to the room and getting those spankings that we talked about last week, man, mom and dad, I hate you. You're not my friend. To which I always had to remind my girls I've never wanted to be your friend. I'm your dad. And I think, unfortunately, we do that to God Almighty way too often. We treat him as a friend. Uh, I used to see shirts that people wear, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is your Lord and your King and your Savior. And while I, I get that Jesus is our friend, he calls us his friend, don't misunderstand that. Even though he is our friend, he is still the King. 
He is still Lord of the universe and he's still Lord over us. And we don't get to just treat him like somebody. Okay, I'm going to get off the soapbox. Verses 2 and 3, ready? This angel, what did he do? What did this demon do? He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. Smoke typically speaks of judgment. Some judgment is about to come on the earth. And these demons that come up as a part of the judgment have the characteristics of locusts and scorpions. Now note the word like. In the Greek, it's the word has, which literally just means a comparison, comparing one thing to another. They're not literally locusts and scorpions, but they're described as locusts and scorpions because it's something that those people would have readily understood. Locusts devour and destroy, and uh, scorpions cause intense pain. So we know these demons are here to destroy and to cause immense pain, which brings us back to our original point. Satan wants to harm us. And isn't it interesting that as fallen human beings, we tend to go back to the very things that hurt us the most? Okay, out of curiosity, how many of you all have sinned? Okay, some of you didn't raise your hands, so you're liars. <laughs> so you just sinned. So now we're all on equal playing field. How many of you all have sinned and then you looked at yourself and went, that was dumb. Why did I do that? Be honest. You know it was stupid. How many of you sinned, looked at yourself, knew it was stupid, and then yet went out and did it again? How many of you all have sinned, looked at yourself, knew it was stupid, went out and did it again, and then praised God? He hasn't given up on you. Aren't you glad that that's the God that we serve? And this is what we see happening in the book of Revelation. People go back to the same gods that they worship, the same sexual immorality they were diving into over and over again, and God continues to punish them for their sin, disciplining his children so that they would come to him. And we're about to find out in a moment, do many come to him or do most end up rejecting him? We'll take a look at that together in a second. Go with me, if you would, to verses 4 and 5. It says, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. I want you to note four things that show us that God is completely in control, even of these demons. These demons belong to the Lord. There's four stipulations put on what they can and can't do. First of all, they cannot harm the earth's vegetation. They're not allowed to touch it. They can't touch the sealed 144,000 that are written about in Revelation chapter 7. They can't kill anyone. And then they can only harm for five months. And then their time is done. I just want you to be encouraged by this passage. If you're wondering, where is there any encouragement in Revelation 9? There's some of it right there. That even while evil is running rampant, even while Satan is going crazy, he's on a leash. He still belongs to the Lord, and he cannot do anything that God does not allow him to. So when you're going through a dark day, when you get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, when that car has that flat tire, when you lose that job and you're wondering where the next paycheck is coming from, just remember that none of it takes God by surprise. He has still got all of it under control. When you're wondering what in the world is going on in our country, this country that we call home, that was once founded on the principles of God's word, 
This country that was once founded upon the principles of Jesus Christ himself, most of our founding fathers were not deists who believed in some far-off God. They walked with Jesus. If you read their journals, these very people established the laws that we have because of what God's word says and who he is. And we have gotten far, far away from that as a country. And therefore, it has brought massive destruction into our communities. It has brought massive destruction to our marriages. It has brought massive destruction to our kids going to school every single day, wondering who they are and who they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to live and how they're supposed to act. See, Revelation 9 still has biblical principle for us today. And that is that while we may not have these demons that look like locusts running around torturing people right now, people are tortured. And sometimes they don't even realize it. And the question is, as a church, what do we do about it? See, some of these very things that I just brought up are some of the very things that I have heard before. You don't talk about those things, especially from a pulpit, because you're not allowed to get political in church. To which I would respond, fantastic, we'll just be biblical. Did you know that where you came from is biblical, not political? Did you know that God making you a boy or a girl at the moment of conception is biblical, not political? Did you know that marriage between one man and one woman until death is biblical and not political? Did you know that Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and no one coming to the Father but by him is biblical and not political? None of those things are hate speech. In fact, the most hateful thing that we could do is not tell anybody anything about what the truth is, not show them how God designed them, not show them what God designed for human flourishing. That is the most hateful thing we could ever do. I'm sorry, but I love Jesus and I love people too much for our church to be the ones that remain silent on the very things that are killing people. And listen, people are going to go right back to the very things that are killing them. We're about to take a look at it at the end of Revelation 9. This is not the time to shy away from the truth. This is not the day or the hour to not preach the gospel. Now is the day of salvation. Let's go present it and give people an opportunity to respond. And let's not be ashamed of the gospel. Hey, can we say like Paul did when he was writing to the church in Rome, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. Right? Amen? Okay. I had more coffee this morning than normal. So it's one of those days. Okay, verses 7 through 10. Stick with me. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. Here is this group of people that once again are being described like somebody that's going to devour and somebody that's going to injure. I tell you what, I don't want to give Satan any foothold in my life to be able to injure or to devour. And I love what scripture tells me. If I stick close to Jesus, Satan doesn't stand a chance. This is not a battle that we're hoping Jesus will win. You see those dumb little cartoons where like the little Satan angel is battling the little God angel and you just hope that the good one wins? That is so far from the truth. If you read the book of Revelation, okay, November, we're finishing in November. It's like the last Sunday in November. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin it for you all. Do you all know the end of Revelation 22? God wins. 
I, I think I've told you all this before, but like most bumper stickers that we put on the back of our cars, they're so cheesy. I'm sorry. You're going to be out there like scraping it off. As soon as, but I saw one that I think is actually fairly appropriate. I know the future. Ellipsis, dot, dot, dot. What is it? God wins. That's the book of Revelation. All right, Revelation 9-11. Who is this person? Who is this angel, this demon that has authority over all the rest of these demons that come from the bottomless pit? Well, they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Both Abaddon in Hebrew and Apollyon in Greek mean destroyer. So once again, we see that Satan wants to harm or destroy. But we've got a second reason as to why we want to repent and follow Jesus, and that is so that God won't have to humble you. Have you ever gotten to a point where God had to humble you? That's your second point if you're note-takers, but repent, repent and follow Jesus so he won't have to humble you. I have had to be humbled numerous times over. God has to remind me, Dave, you are not the master of your own destiny. You didn't make yourself you don't sustain yourself. You didn't provide any of the elements that are necessary in order for you to have food, in order for you to have water, in order for you to have oxygen. You didn't make your own respiratory system so you could take in oxygen. You didn't make your own digestive system so you could digest food. I did all of that for you. So don't forget where the praise, the glory, the honor, and the worship should be directed. It's not on us, but it's completely on him. In Revelation 9, 12 through 15, it says the first woe has passed. So now we're on to the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet judgments. He says, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. So there are these four angels, they've been apparently bound at the river Euphrates, and they're just waiting for God to release them. And once they get released, they're going to start their destruction. Now remember, a fourth of the earth's population has already been killed. There's approximately 8 billion people on our planet right now, which means 2 billion have already been killed, which means we're down to about 6 billion people on the planet. What is a third of 6 billion? Mathematicians? It's about another two billion. So right now we got about half of the population wiped out, destroyed, killed. And how does it happen? Well, look at verses 16 through 19. Let me tell you, these are some of the verses where I've heard some crazy interpretations. I'm going to tell you just from Scripture what this is all about. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. Okay, mathematicians again. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. 100 million times 2 is 200 million. At this point in time, we've got 144,000 sealed for God's army, plus two witnesses that we're going to read about in Revelation chapter 11. We've got 200 million versus 144,002. The odds are kind of stacked against God's people. And I'll tell you what, when I read Revelation, God's not worried. Now, as we take a look around us in the very city that we live in, Albuquerque is our home. And we are far outnumbered when it comes to those that are following Jesus. But guess what? God's not worried. See, I don't serve a God of numbers. Here's the interesting thing. Even if you were the only person in all of Albuquerque, which you're not, 
But even if you're the only person of all of Albuquerque that worshiped Jesus and walked with him, I tell you what, if you're on Jesus' side, you're always in the majority. Your side wins. You know why? Because my dad can beat up your dad. That's the way it goes. Well, let's take a look at what happens here as we continue on in verses 16 through 19. What does this 200 million do? Well, I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of them, they wound. Again, I've read books that many are saying this could be tanks that are shooting stuff off. These could be nuclear warheads. I don't think so. That, that might be part of the battle and the wars that will be going on during the tribulation. But what's happening here, I don't think God is giving us a symbolic picture of tanks and nuclear warheads. I believe these are actual demons. Scripture seems to speak as, of demons as being real, and I believe they're honestly unleashing much of this judgment upon mankind. Now, as they do, God is giving them one opportunity after another to repent. And what do they do? Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. The first thing they do is they refuse to repent of their sins committed against God Almighty. Secondly, nor do they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. They don't repent of the sins committed against mankind. So they have sinned against God, they have sinned against man, and they refuse to repent of either one. I want to finish this morning, I want to conclude this with reminding us to not miss the grace and the mercy of God in this passage. He gives unbelievers a chance to repent time and time again and be spared of the punishment of an eternal hell. For followers of Jesus, we have this tendency to go back to the very things that killed us, and yet Jesus gives us a chance over and over again to repent. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, know this, there is nothing that Satan can do to snatch you out of Jesus' hand. You're safe and secure, but he will do everything he can to render you useless and render you ineffective. And the quickest way for him to render you useless and ineffective is to get you to dive back into sin. Listen, we have brothers and sisters in Christ. Pastor Steve mentioned this at the beginning of the service. You have a family. That's what we're here for. If you are struggling, be honest. Who cares what another person thinks? God Almighty already knows. He's the one that you've got to stand before. We might as well be honest with each other and get the help that we need. Men, we need help. We need help in guiding our wives and our children well. We need help in leading the church well. We need help in being men of purity that make a covenant between us and the Lord in our eyes and don't let, allow ourselves to look at certain things. Ladies, you need help in being good wives and being good mothers and discipling your children and being a bright light to those other ladies that you spend time with out in the community. We need you to be ladies that love Jesus so that your kids and your grandkids and the neighbor's kids have someone to imitate. We need men and women that will show the world what Jesus' relationship to the church is through marriage. We need that desperately and we need each other to do it. Otherwise, we're going to falter every single time. You want to know how Satan is going to destroy us? You want to know how he's going to, he's going to kill us? Just watch National Geographic, right? Satan is described as a lion looking for someone to devour. What does the lion do? Which one of the herd does he always go after? 
the one that's isolated, sick, injured, weak, and alone. And so what does Satan try to do to us? Well, let's just get you isolated. Let's get you alone. Let's beat you up a bit and get you weak. And now you are prime pickings for being devoured. I love how the Lord even teaches us lessons through the animal kingdom. Well, gang, we have got quite the task at hand. We have been called to go out and be a people that treasures Jesus above all else in a community that does not treasure Jesus. We have been called to be a people that get to know Jesus and make him known everywhere we go. And sometimes we bring him to places where they don't want to hear about him. And yet Jesus is calling us in boldness and in confidence, not because of who we are, but because of who he is, to go share the gospel. Amen? Okay, we are, and it's interesting that we sang as our last song before this message, the song, I Surrender. We're going to sing that song again as we prepare our hearts for communion. Because we are going to get ready to remember what Jesus did for us and how we're supposed to continue to remember that up until the point that he comes to take us back. Remember, we do this in remembrance of him until he returns. He hasn't returned yet. So let's keep remembering and then let's keep making known what Jesus has done on our behalf. Which begs a question before I pray for us. Because when I'm done praying, you're just going to get up and take communion. What is it that Jesus has done for us? Well, he's God in flesh. He left heaven. He came down as the man, Jesus Christ. He died on a cross. He had his body broken and his blood shed, and then he rose again from the dead. And that is where all of our hope lies. It's him that we're going to spend a moment just praying to right now, and then as soon as I'm done praying, like I say, feel free to get up and take communion. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we praise you for who you are. And Lord, would you continue to remind us that, Lord, even in the midst of judgment, Lord, your judgments are incremental and they're patient. And Lord, you give us opportunity after opportunity to trust you as Lord and Savior. You give us opportunity after opportunity to repent of sin. And you do that without us deserving it. Lord Jesus, you left heaven and then you were crucified and you were tortured and you were beaten and you didn't deserve that. And yet you took your punishment or our punishment upon yourself when we were the ones who deserved to be punished. Lord Jesus, we ask now that as we remember you in communion that you would be glorified and honored and worshiped this morning. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.